Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. The day is finally here. It's sort of like our Super Bowl. That's right. Get ready for our top 10 movies of 2020. It's time for a top 10 turf war. We're so happy that you guys have found kind of the big episode that we do every year. Ivana, are you tired of watching 2020 films yet? I'm ready. I'm ready to move on with the year. I'm ready to see what 2021 has to offer. I have been watching pretty much just 2020 movies for the past couple of months. Okay, so my question is to you, and we do this every time, how many did you watch? I have watched 64 films in total this year. 64 and a half. I'm disappointed in you because every year you blow me out of the water with all your little independent Netflix movies that you somehow find that are terrible that I would never watch. I'm at 76 films, but there is a caveat for this year's top 10 turf war. And that is we decided to allow any best picture nominations into this because we do that every year, but because 2020 has been a landmark bizarro year where Movies got pushed. We are bringing in those Oscar nominations uh, like we do every single year. That's so true. we did include so those. There, was, there is a, a peppering of 2021s that, that might end up on our top 2020 list, but it's only because it's top 2020 plus best picture nominees. That's right. That is, that's the stipulation. It is best picture nominees that we've watched. Um, I also did watch a couple of the directors. I, I made sure to watch every directed uh, film as well. There were some omissions from me. I just want to caveat. I did not get to The Nest. Uh, I did not get to the Charlie Kaufman. I'm thinking of ending things. But I don't normally gravitate to Charlie Kaufman. So I don't know if he'd be in my top 10. And I did want to watch The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is this like fun B movie which I don't think would be in the top 10. But when you guys hear my top 10, eh, maybe it could have. I don't know. Those are the three that I wanted to get to, uh, and I didn't. Also, um, we are recording live on Clubhouse. So if you hear us shouting out and saying, you know, hey, Nas, down there in the uh, audience, I watched Shithouse today. It was awesome. Thank you so much for the recommendation. We're just shouting out to some amazing people that we know who are listening to our live recording right now. That's right. And we will also be warning before we start doing any spoilers. So as always, spoilers are a big part of our our podcast. One other caveat is there's no documentaries. Just like our top 10 turf war of our TV shows every year, no unscripted series are in here or unscripted, you know, documentaries. All right, and since you gave your films that you missed, here are the films that I didn't quite get to that I, I feel like I should just disclose this. Um, yes, And I've please. got a bunch. So Lover's Rock, Mangrove, The Nest, Queen and Slim, First Cow. Most of I'm thinking of ending things. I started it. I'm about a half hour in. Uh, Kajillionaire and Tenet. You didn't see Tenet? No. But I, I don't worry. I knew, don't worry. It wouldn't be in your top 10. I knew 10. it wasn't going to make worry. my top 10. So I, I, I didn't I didn't prioritize it. But I think I just need to let everyone know it's not I haven't seen it. So you're definitely not going to hear it on my list. 
And the last thing we will say before we get into our top 10 turf war. These are our favorite films of the year. They don't necessarily have to be the absolute best films uh, of the year or what we're looking for on the, the most technical. These are just our favorite top 10s. I think this year you should go first. So give it here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. All right. I, uh, I'm going to start with number 10 that is not on your list. I'm just like... I, we also do this thing where we like say it's on your list or not on your list. I'm betting this is not. My number 10 movie of the entire year is an action horror comedy hybrid about the like savage identity politics in America. And that is The Hunt. It's not in my top 10, but I loved that movie. Everyone, like a lot of people shat on it and I really liked it. I definitely came after the hype. It was, you know, I, I, when I first saw it, because I watched it twice, I mean, it's so overboard and so bizarre and hilarious. When I first saw this film, there, there was like, definitely, it's definitely a polarizing film. And I understand why. If you're like ridiculously opposed to seeing what you think is yourself on the screen, you're going to look ridiculous because it's a film that like posits. If you see yourself up here, you got some work to do left or right. You don't want to be these people, but on the flip side, like just like ready or not, or other like crazy horror comedy hybrids where the gore is outstanding I get sucked into those movies and I just have so much fun laughing at how insanely ridiculous it all is. Um, like not the best movie of the year, not even a top 10 contender, but for me, I saw it twice. It's a favorite. It's my favorite number. Ivana, what is your number 10? Get ready to yell at me, Jay. You're literally can't like, wait. If, if, if you were not like if you were a violent person and we were in the same room, I bet you you would slap me as soon as I say this movie. I'm not going to slap you. You're not a violent okay, person just, and also we're like in different What are you countries. going to do? I you're making me nervous. My number 10 film of 2020 is Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what the hell? <laughs> All right. For anyone who hasn't seen it, this is a comedic sequel where Bill and Ted find themselves middle aged and in danger of losing their princess loves amid unfulfilled destinies that will lead to the destruction of the future. Like, did you slide this in just to piss me off? Because we've already had this conversation. I do not think that that movie is has merit. Like, I understand this is our favorites. Why is this a favorite? The reason why it's in my 10 spot is that I think that this is the best possible sequel that could ever exist for the Bill and Ted story. And I think that where the second movie really like fell off the tracks, this movie took everything that they created in the first and that worked for the first. And they also kept the soul of the film and then they took it to its natural conclusion in a sequel. Like, I think that the choices that were made by these filmmakers, by the writers, by the actors, everything, um, were just the best that could possibly 
exist for what Bill and Ted is. Bill and Ted is not the greatest thing on the planet, but I think that for someone to like achieve the best possible out of something, I think that that is kind of magical and it deserves a mention. And also, I liked it. I've seen it three times and I don't rewatch movies. Remember when I was like, I'm genuinely afraid of your top 10 this year? Yeah, this is why. I And I knew you'd get mad, but at least it's not like higher on the list. <sighs> You've watched over 60 movies this year. It's, it's high enough. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. We've already done the Bill and Ted thing to death in a past episode. My number nine on my list is a... Uh, May actually, my number nine might upset you because my number nine is a shutter exclusive that arrived during our pandemic quarantine time, and it was host. Oh, I, I tried to watch that movie, and it's not even it doesn't even count as one of my 64 because I turned it off because I don't understand what you saw in this movie. It, my my set my one sentence, if you haven't seen host, is It's a horror film created for us horror fans in the pandemic about a seance that goes horribly wrong while on a Zoom call. And the whole thing is done in in your computer as if it's a Zoom call that you're watching. And I genuinely was terrified by this film. I thought it was so freaky. I couldn't believe it. I was like, how did they pull this off? One with social distancing and COVID restrictions, and two, the special effects were great. Everything worked well, and that ending, which you didn't even make it to. No, I turned it off. Like, ha- like put a full smile on my I face. I turned it off for- a half hour in. Like, nothing really, I think the scary stuff kind of started. Like, they, they were just building, but I was bored to death. And I was like, I'm watching a Zoom call that, like, a film student could make this movie and I, I, you don't deserve my attention to keep going. I think a film student did make this film and I applaud that effort in a time when all of us are so sick of zoom calls to give us this horror film in what we see every day on our screens. And I just thought the innovation to actually go and do it and do it well was amazing. I recommend host to any horror fan and you I, I I'm so surprised at you because one it's not long I, I I do appreciate that there was a lot of short films this year and uh but the I couldn't even get to the scary part I was just so bored to tears it's a bad movie it's not as bad as Bill and Ted anyway anyway <laughs> anyway what is your number nine of the year all right my number nine I don't think is gonna make your list either And it is Borat Subsequent Movie Film, a comedy sequel to an iconic film where Borat returns to America to hold a mirror to the ugly truth about what the world looks like today, politically and amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Jay, what did you think about the movie? I like Borat Subsequent Movie Film. I I really like uh, the young woman who is co-starring with him. I think that it is kind of the kick in the ass that... A lot of people in uh, a progressives needed to see that we're not moving as quickly forward as we thought we are. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed Borat too. It's not on my list. Granted, I had a good time with it. It's, it's lower on my list. Like it's not even in the top 25. Uh, 
But I will say, interesting that you bring this up because Francia on Clubhouse is listening to us right now. And did you know, Ivana, that Sasha Baron Cohen said they watched It Happened One Night to get to the ending where he bursts in and it's that heroic rescue of Rudy Giuliani. And it, it's built up to he needs to be with his daughter. They they took a cue from It Happened One Night's ending where he rushes in and has like feels like he needs to be with the girl. And I just think that's hilarious, especially because Francie is listening. I think that's amazing. I So for me, the reason why it's number nine on my list um, is one, I think it's damn impressive that someone who is as big a star as Sasha Baron Cohen is able to hide again, especially to do a sequel of Borat, which is his biggest film and biggest character that he's ever created. So... I think simply the ingenuity of how he was able to pull this off despite being like just a massive star is impressive. And uh, again, you're totally right. Maria Bakalova, like she was a force to be reckoned with and really elevates the film in her performance. And then finally, it just came at a moment in the pandemic where I just needed a laugh and I needed a laugh that was political but in the right way without making me like that too depressed over the world because I it came out in the fall I think and it was just a a bit of a dark time it was like getting darker I remember that because like the cases had gone down in the summer a little bit at and and then suddenly we found ourselves getting darker. Obviously, it's getting winter time. Um, there was a lot of warnings. Cases started to rise up again. And everyone was kind of warning you that it's going to be a difficult winter. And even though we had spent the winter before stuck indoors and afraid for our lives, it was like promising everywhere on the news that it was going to happen again, but it was going to be worse because you you will have been in it for that much longer. And it was a breath of fresh air. It made me laugh and it made me forget of everything that was going on in the world, even though it was like firmly rooted in our reality. And I just think that that is pretty special. And that's why the movie deserves a number nine spot on the top 10 of 2020. Look, I'm really glad that Borat makes the number nine. Like it didn't make my favorites of the year, but I I am glad we're talking about it because I think as it is adapted to like, it's an adapted screenplay could potentially win best adapted it won't. And uh, it doesn't deserve at the that. Oscars, it, but it does deserve a nom, I think, but it doesn't deserve to win. Just so you know, the listener, uh, we are recording this on Saturday. The Oscars are tomorrow. You get it on Monday. So uh, if we refer to the Oscars not happening and not knowing, guess what? You have the inside scoop because you watched it. All right, Jay. What is your number eight film of 2020? Uh, Something tells me that we're going to kick it down a notch. uh, But my number eight of 2020 is Promising Young Woman. Can we talk about it now or are we talking about it later? We're going to talk about it a little bit later. All right. Let's talk about it a little later. What is your number eight? All right. My number eight of 2020. I don't think it's going to be on your list. And it is The Five Bloods. A Spike Lee film. Not a joint, though. Or at least I don't... At the end, it just said directed by. It's high. Like, Defy Bloods, I think, is in my top 20. It's 17 on my full-blown list. It was, like, number one at the beginning of March. And it just kind of 
kept moving down. That's it, it. It for a while it was my number two film of the year, but uh, and but it, it kept I, I kept it to number eight. I actually rewatched it this morning, so um, I'm fresh with this film, and. The, the reason why I think it deserves a spot on a top 10, it's that I think that this is one of the most beautiful technical achievements in filmmaking that Spike Lee has brought forth. This film is stunning. The acting is fantastic. He keeps a pretty large cast, like really well balanced throughout the story. I honestly think that it's one of his most beautiful films that he's ever made. And the and the scope of the message in this film. Yeah. Going from Vietnam to present day with the message of how black veterans have been treated is astounding. Like it's it's hard. I don't even know if he pulls it off, but it is He doesn't. It's heavy <laughs> lifting. <laughs> it's well, he has he has just so many thoughts that are uh in this movie i think this movie is about ptsd i think this movie is about war i think this movie is about uh guilt and grief um about fatherhood about just like so many different things and they're all really valid can can i just say like how proud i am a co-host to you after all these years, because you hate, hate war movies, and now you have a pretty prevalent war film in your top 10 of the year. Yeah, but it's not, it's not like the traditional type of war film that I, I normally dislike, even though I definitely had trouble. Like one of the hardest scenes for me to watch was in a, in a flashback moment where you have uh, the bloods are like hiding and it it's literally during the Vietnam War and you hear and see the Viet Cong uh, soldiers like they're walking through the jungle and they're talking about um, a girlfriend and love and just like, you know, natural human things in a really kind of peaceful moment. And then you've got our soldiers and they're down on the ground and and then they just lay waste to all of these men and and that to me was that's why I hate war I hate I hate that it exists in this planet I have a real problem with it I I don't know how people kill people like this and and the the thing about war too is that it's like people send other people into battle um and those people just like follow along and do the battle and do all this unnecessarily unnecessary killing. But ultimately, the people on the ground, like they are pawns, pawns to the people who are making the decisions of entering into a war. And I just I wish there was no war in the world. Like it, it it's hard to watch. But it, you know what? Like layered with the racism, layered with the history, layered with the the mental anguish of having like. Uh, been in war and then now being back in the world like I don't know that's what elevates this movie but it's not perfect but Delroy Lindo should yeah. be nominated should and be I don't nominated know if it's actor or supporting I don't know where you put it but he should have been nominated for something he should have been nominated for supporting actor this is a 
this is truly, um, even though he is kind of the lead of this film, he it's still like an ensemble such that he. Sh- I don't think he deserves the best Oscar nom, Oscar nom, but he would have had a fighting chance, I think. That was such a good performance for But for at the Oscars, supporting. what we've learned is that if you're a leading man in a film, you don't necessarily get an actor anymore because Lakeith, sure as shit, is a supporting actor this year. Because of Ugh, rules I hate and that. nonsense. Yes, totally agree. Lakeith is the lead of that movie. But And I will say one last thing, and then we can put this movie to bed. Um, one thing that I was really impressed by with Spike Lee is I think that he went, in a lot of ways, back to his roots in terms of the choices of shots that he chose, but then also really married it very nicely with what he's learned as he's grown and matured as a filmmaker because this is, like... He marries the really cool angle shots with the like beautiful traditional director type shots in a way that I think uh, is maybe the best of his career with this film. The shot choices are superb. Interestingly enough, like again, I just don't know if the five bloods is going to be one of those things people talk about in five years. This is such a strange year where all these great movies came out, but I don't know if we're going to talk about them in five years. What are we at? We're at seven for me. Number seven for me is The Assistant. Oh, I'm so glad that's on your list. It didn't make it to my top 10. Let's talk about it. So The Assistant is a drama about the assistant to an unnamed abusive president of a film company in New York. And it's pretty clear that this is commenting on Harvey Weinstein behind closed doors making sexual advances, harassment, and assault on people that maybe not people that he's working with, but he's drawing people in with his power to abuse that power. And I was hooked. Yeah, this movie grabbed my attention and really held it. I think for me, this movie was less about Weinstein, although it's like clearly based on Weinstein, um, and more about all of the people that we did see in the film, because you never see him. Um, it's all about the assistants and the and the producers and the HR reps and everyone who enables Enabled this him. behavior. Yes. That's what this movie's about. This movie is about enabling. And, the, and, and it follows this assistant who kind of realizes what's happening, cannot stomach it, tries to do something about it, and quickly is like shut, shut down, down by all those enablers. Oh, I was like, my jaw was open throughout most of this. And, and you could interject any toxic workplace with an abusive uh, boss into the role of this. It's very relevant because of Weinstein, but the HR scene comes where she tries to go to HR and the guy sitting behind the desk won't let it go through and starts somewhat threatening her job in a, oh, but you're going to lose this job if you follow this. Do you really want to do that? Do you really? And it's like, I want to help these people. And it's like, yeah, but you don't really have anything. And yeah, he's like, you don't have real proof. Do you really want to go through with this? Exactly. And I'm sitting there going, this doesn't seem real, but of course it is. This is so shocking. But of course, it's not that shocking. This happened. 
I think that one thing that we should mention about this film is it's very naturalistic. And um, even though there's a lot that is packed in the day and it is really riveting, because it's naturalistic, the events that take place are small and yes. they're in it, it. It's it can feel a bit slow at times. I remember at some point Blake turned to me and said, if this doesn't get going soon, I, th- I don't think that I'll be invested. And then it did, but it, it, it got going in a small, realistic way. So I think that's something to just kind of note. This is a, a realism based film. That is fair to say. I did not feel that way. I loved Every, the, I loved the pacing. I loved the slow burn of this film. It really got to me. Um, the Assistant, if you haven't seen it, Canadians, it's on Crave now. I'm sure it's on something in the States. Uh, Ivana, number seven on your list. Number seven on my list. I watched it this past week. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I didn't want to tip you off, so I didn't say anything. Uh, <laughs> it's called The White Tiger. It's a Netflix film. It's starring their only, the only big star that most people located in North America would know is Priyana Chopra, who is one of the leads of the movie. Um, it blew me away. Uh, let and, and I'll give you my, my rundown of what it is. Yeah, is I, a, I haven't seen it. Um, so, so, yes, rundown for me, please. So this is a thriller comedy drama about a low-caste Indian driver slash servant who seeks to rise up out of the terrible situation that he finds himself born into. It is, it does, like, this movie does not hold back its opinion on the caste system and it does not hold back uh it's like grading like review i would say of the democracy that exists in india it's about the corruption like it just is a shows you the light of corruption through this kind of like indian bollywood filmmaking like lens like it feels like a non um musical indian production it's grand it's beautiful so i'm just looking up the director raman barani and he did 99 homes fahrenheit 451 um it looks like he's done a great deal of american films so he it could be like bollywood stylized by an American director? Yeah, and there was definitely, like, I remember when we when I was watching the credits, a lot of the producers were, like, super white-sounding names. Okay, so this is on Netflix, and it was made for Netflix? Or just, like, I, do you think it got a theatrical run or just straight to Netflix? No, this is, like, a Netflix film made for Netflix. Okay, and it's there right now. Like, after this, I could go and watch it. Yeah, and, and it's Good. I highly recommend. I love it. That's uh, that's the first one on your list I haven't seen, and you've seen all the ones on mine. So this is interesting. This is uh, different. Normally, I'm throwing a bunch of curveballs your way, but you threw the first one, and I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> My number six surprised me. So much surprised me. It came out earlier in the year, and I missed it. And I only recently watched it on recommendation, and I, like, Real big surprise. I'm looking for big things from this director going forward. And it's uh, the 40-year-old version. Oh, I'm so thankful that it ended up on your list. It's in my top 20, but it didn't make it uh, all the way up to the 10. 
Let's talk about this movie. Okay, if you haven't seen it, it's a comedy about a woman, like, literally just trying to get her shit together before her 40th birthday. Fun fact about me, I'm going to turn 40 this year. I don't got my shit together. I mean, I have this excellent podcast. I got great friends. I'm on Clubhouse. But I don't feel like I have my shit together. So maybe the 40-year-old version spoke to me a little differently because... Because of the age, we're at the same age. But um, Rada Blank is hilarious. This movie, I laughed almost the whole way through, except for the moments where I got emotional with her, where I rooted for her. And I just, man, like, you've got her uh, wanting to be a rapper at 40, which is, hilarious well what's your what's your log line that you wrote good. for this one because we haven't done that yet i just did a comedy about a woman trying to get her shit together before her oh 40th yeah your birthday. your log lines are so general <laughs> I, i'm like i'm like i'm i'm reading them off you told me to write these I, they're, they're so here i'm writing them <laughs> well and then i started explaining the film and why i liked it what do you mean general <laughs> this isn't meeting my standards <laughs> i used your formula a genre about what <laughs> anyway sorry moving along the 40 year old version is about a playwright who teaches a group of kids how to you know put on a play basically she was lauded as being like um top 30 under 30. And she thought like, my life is going to go places. I'm going to be a huge star. And then her life kind of stuttered out. And, you know, she ends up getting a play on stage by this horrible old white dude who like thinks he's woke, but will not let a, uh, a person of color actually tell the story they want to tell because he knows his audience is other old white people and needs to cater to that. Yeah, so he he's like, let let us make this movie or this play that is essentially mm, po- black struggle porn for white people. That's right. That is exactly what it was. And while all that's going on, she all of a sudden gets the idea that she's also going to be a rapper. So she goes to... This younger man's house who makes beats, his name's D, and she does this story about everybody asking her to change what she wants to write so that it's poverty porn. And it's really great. And I never had thought about white people asking people of color to change their stories they want to tell. Because originally the story is pretty... Like, it's just somebody from the neighborhood. The neighborhood's changing. They're like, nope, we need to we need to put a white person in this to identify why it's changing. It's like, I don't want to do that. Like, no, I'm just telling a small story. Nope. It there's a lot about this movie that I love. And what I think is kind of cool about uh the 40-year-old version coming out in 2020 is that I think it tells the message of the movie Soul much better than the movie soul tells it if you know what i mean i do know what you mean that that is ivana you are wise beyond your years that was really <laughs> really a yes and soul hasn't come up on either of our top top 10 maybe it will i don't know we'll see. but you're right 
I so like oh my god you really you you walk away at the end of this because we all I mean we're all socialized everyone in the planet we're all socialized that you gotta like succeed and you gotta fight and struggle and your entire identity is your work and when you're an artist it's like even more so because it's it's different than just a job it's like a part of who you are so I mean that part of it I really um like I I I understood I understood what it was to be like all right, I'm going to do what I need to do to pay the bills while also making art um, and in hopes of eventually, you know, being one of the big artists on the planet. Like, I think we all have that in our head, especially if you choose this as a career. And and so for, and, and the story to me is about, you know, don't forget to enjoy your life. Definitely. Yeah, that's fair. You know what? This is the first time I've seen Rada Blank, and I, I just cannot wait to see more from her. Ivana, let's move on. I am at six, which means you're at six because you let me go first. So what is your number six? I have a feeling we're not going to be talking about this, uh, but it is Sound of Metal. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later, Ivana, for sure. Oh, wow. We're at the halfway right. mark. This is it. Jay. What's your number I like five? It. You know what? I got, I, 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 I'm amazed that we are only at five and we only have two of the same ones. This uh, turf war is going to be interesting after it's over. So my number five is I got back to back comedies. Let's talk about Palm Springs. Nice. Let's talk about that later. <laughs> yes. I yeah. love it. I love that it's on your list. Okay. And that it's higher on your list. All right. Um, what is your number five? All right. My number five is a is one that was, I believe, number eight on your list. And that is Promising Young Woman. Awesome. Let's talk about it. So I've seen this movie twice so far. And, and I, I think I needed to see it twice. This is a stylistically feminine candy color drama about a woman who can't move on with her life after her best friend is raped and takes her own life. I see what you mean by you wrote the better uh, commentary sentences. I see that now. I went on plot. I tried to really go on plot. And y- you just kind of like explain what it's a, in, in general, what a film is. I get it. All right. So Promising Young Woman. I mean, it hinges. The whole thing hinges on how great Carrie Mulligan is. Carrie Mulligan is such an interesting casting choice because she doesn't normally do movies like this and she grounds it in a performance that is often lent to films like the one that got her famous, which is An Education. She She's a force in this movie. I think a really, it's a really vulnerable portrayal, actually. And, and I definitely think it is her having fun. Like, I think she is having a great time when she is in... You know, when she's in front of Alison Brie or when she's in Connie Britton's office, she is playing so much up with all the knowledge she knows and has in her head. And her revenge is it's like. It's like gourmet food to like consume the revenge as it goes on in the film. Yeah, you know, I I loved this, the buildup, like when she goes back to the people that facilitated and allowed this rape to go to to ruin her best friend to to ultimately cause the death of her best friend it's really satisfying 
And it's it's pretty satisfying the way that she takes revenge on each of the people. Connie Britton, I think that's her name, the the dean of the school. That was one of my favorite revenges. Um, So everyone, I think we just got to be really clear here. This movie is, uh, we're going to talk about spoilers. So if you haven't seen it or you don't want to hear about it, skip ahead. I I think you have to talk about the ending. You have to talk about the ending, especially because the ending is polarizing. Some people hated the ending. I liked the ending. And there's uh, a little bit of lore that the original ending of the film is the death. And it like stops there. And and there's an entire epilogue that comes in the actual final film. And I heard that essentially there wasn't producers that would that would take it on without having that epilogue in there. I look, I, I like the epilogue because it goes back to all the other revenge plots that we've had with her. So I think it's a consistent thing that you need. But I also think she has to die because here's the thing. What happens when these things happen? The man silences the woman. And that's what happens in that moment. Yeah, what's what's more silencing than killing someone, right? Exactly. It's a wide shot, but it's fairly graphic that, like, he is smothering this girl. I genuinely thought she'd get away. I thought there was a taser or a kick or something was going to happen. And when we went to the morning shot and she's dead there, It like hit me like a ton of bricks that, of course, she would be dead. So when I first watched it, the first time I've seen this movie, it was like shocking like this. This movie, I think of all the 2020 movies is going to have the most staying power because of that ending. But then having watched it the second time, it was a whole different experience because I knew, of course, that she dies. Right. And so when I saw the film the second time around, It was even more like it was first, obviously, less surprising that she dies because I knew it was coming, but it felt much more inevitable. I saw the death in the early parts of the film. The first time I was enjoying the ride, I was enjoying her revenges. I was enjoying the the candy colored veneer that is on top of this film. But the second time I watched it, the film totally changed. It lo- was so much darker, so much more grounded, and um, which is funny because I think the 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 way it's filmed is not grounded. But I think that when you watch no. it again, you're like w- weirdly grounded in the in the what's happening. She's so broken. So when you watch it the second time, you see how broken she is right from the first scene of the film, and and it you never forget. All you see is how broken she is and how she is just like asking to die. Like, and you realize that whatever it was with her best friend, maybe it's guilt that she didn't go to the party that night or didn't convince because they never really quite get into it. Right. What like where was she that night? She never talks about it. And, And I think that that is ultimately I think she feels like it's her fault that her friend is dead and that her friend got raped. And I feel like. She has a death wish from moment one. The, the way that she puts herself at risk with these strangers, all it takes is one stranger to be scared enough to kill her, just like at the end of that movie. Like I, I said originally, I think the mystery factor and the mystery box of Promising Young Woman and the fun of it is sort of like 
this year's Knives Out. Yeah, yeah, it does have a lot of that. Um, one thing that really bothered me, especially on the rewatch, were her parents and her house. Yeah, I, I just that it just felt really, really like I don't know. I, I it bothered me even more the second time around, and. And I think the second time around, I felt as if she was attempting with that house and how stuck in the past it was to show that in this very upper middle class up to rich white people world that that this film is very much set in, um, that she was a poor white person who kind of broke through to the rich white people world. And I feel like that was why the house was the way that it was. But again, I, I don't know that I loved like I think it could have been shown differently hey I love that you're talking yourself out of this it's just going to make things easier in the turf war to move it back a peg it's you know what though the 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 twist the intent the uh, this movie is ambitious in the writing the writing the script is superb awesome I I love that this is on your list I love that it's one of the what three now that are actually uh, the same on either of our lists. This is going to be really hard at the end of the day. It is. <laughs> Can I just say, I'm really excited that we still have to talk about sound of metal and Palm Springs because they're higher on my list and your list respectively. Uh, we're not going to talk about it right now. I bet we're going to talk about a movie that is not on your list. My number four is Wolf Walkers. Oh, think I'm so ha- happy that it's on your list. I think it's um, Wolf Walkers. I watched most of it today, but I, I wanted to like get as much movie watching under my belt as possible. So I got about like 50 minutes through and was like, this isn't making my top 10. I can pause. Ivana, I'm warning you now. I'm going to tell you the line that I wrote. It's only a sentence, but this is the line that I wrote. Okay. Okay. It is an animated fantasy film about two girls who turn into wolves when they sleep, but also surprisingly about bringing down the patriarchy. That is a logline, Jay. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And it genuinely is. I think I'm going to say it on the podcast. This is the first time I'm saying it on the podcast. Ivana, are you ready to get angry at me? I'm ready. I'm always ready. Tom Moore, the director of this film, the director also of Sound of the Sea and The Secret of the Celts, just as much a visionary as Tim Burton is, with the added benefit that he's a better storyteller. I'm just going to say that I don't know that I agree that he's a better storyteller, but I agree he's just as much of a visionary. This movie is stunning. Stunning. All of his films, all of his animated works have such a great visual style to them. They are brilliant with the way that they look and the way that they move. There is a fluidity to his animation that I love and I adore. But really, when you get to the crux of Wolfwalkers, it's about, you know, a a small settlement surrounded by forest, a girl who wants to hunt being told she can't go and do that, can't go do what you want to do, yeah, that's your passion. I don't care. You're not going out there because, you know, to to his credit, he is the adult thinking. Well, yeah, she's a child. Like, I, I 
it's funny because we were texting um, and as I was saying that I think that it was slow to start and it should have like it should have been about five to ten minutes sl- shorter before you get into the wolf walker stuff which is where the movie really picks up for me and I just thought for an animated film it's aimed at children I don't like it's way too late if your story only starts at the 25 minute mark I it is age appropriate. It is of all ages can enjoy. Stop saying this was made for children. It was made <laughs> for anyone of all ages. You know okay? what? You are right. Like there, <laughs> I I really liked the movie. Once it got started, once I was twenty five minutes in, I was on board. Um, and the Wolfwalker girl, the redhead. Oh my god, I love her so much. What a character! I wish she she was in the movie earlier. There is a religious leader of this settlement who is, oh my God, like he's, he iron fist. And there is this horrifying scene where, um, our main, our, our main protagonist, Robin like stands up to him in this incredible moment where it's like, I resist your patriarchy. I resist your, like your Christian values that do not apply now. Do not be throwing your religious rhetoric at me. And it's, uh, God, it's amazing. And I love how Robin, which I don't know if you got to either, she starts turning into a wolf when she sleeps. And it's this horrible thing. Uh, she hasn't started turning into a wolf when she sleeps, but she you can tell it's happening because her hand, uh, she's definitely turning into a wolf walker. Like, you know, you know she's a wolf walker. Yes. Yeah. Amazingly, this is our first animated movie of our top 10. Normally, I have at least two. But we're coming in to the close, and this is the first animated movie on the list. I'm I'm glad it's on here. It it really stunning. So for anyone who hasn't checked it out, it's on Apple TV Plus, and it is beautiful. Coming back to you, Ivana, what is your number four? My number four film. I guarantee you haven't seen it. It's it's number four because it's personal to me. It made me feel things and real nostalgic. <laughs> Uh, it's called Big Time Adolescence. It is a dramedy and coming of age story about a teenager whose best friend is his older sister's going nowhere stoner ex-boyfriend. And it's all about him kind of growing up and growing out of that friendship. Man, was it a gut punch. People talk a lot about the King of Staten Island and there was a lot of buzz around that movie this year. But this is another Pete Davidson vehicle that came out in 2020. And and I feel like the world slept on this movie. To me, it's it's similar and and uh, maybe just a bit more personal. Like I felt a lot about this friendship in this movie and and the young boy. The young boy is made by um, an up and coming actor called Griffin Gluck. And I've seen him in all sorts of things that I don't remember at this moment. Um, But he's great. Oh, Lock and Key, American Vandal. Um, He was in the Mick. Uh, And I think you're gonna see big things from him. Pete Davidson is in it. He plays the like classically stoner, bad um like bad influence going nowhere best friend um and he he's like clearly depressed and clearly 
is not channeling his depression into like healthy ways. But when when you're young and you're 14 and, you know, those are often the people who seem really cool, right? The people who are are actually dealing with a lot in their head and and not dealing with it constructively. And they can... And it just shines a light on that. You've uh, you've recommended big time adolescence to me. I have not got around to seeing it. I think um, I think it's because I was it was a Hulu thing, and I don't know if I had it available in Canada at that time. But, but now you have uh, access I'll, to my Hulu. I'll give Hulu. a look for it. <laughs> I know, I know. So maybe I'll have to uh, pop on the VPN and give it a look see. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for bringing that one to the table. Oh my God, Jay, three, like the top three is a, is a big deal. I feel like we're at number three right now. I'm very excited. I kind of think it's going to be sound of metal. I think it's going to be in your number three spot. We'll see. What is your number three film? Uh, no, it's not sound of metal. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, let's talk about the invisible man though. Wow, number three, really? I I've watched this movie twice this year. The Invisible Man scared me more than Host. And The Invisible Man, ready for the tagline? Let, the logline, Ivana, I'm you ready, ready for this? It's a horror film about a woman dealing with trauma and PTSD from an abusive relationship, but it's also a monster movie. And I am down for that. I really like this movie. I've only seen it once. It was back in January when it came out. So it like it's been a long time ago, over a year. Remind me what drew you to it and what made it so special for you. So I was shocked when it first came out at the beginning of, I want to say it was like maybe February or March. And the reviews were all positive. And the reviews that were coming out were saying these amazing things about Elizabeth Moss and how she just elevated this traditional horror story. So I popped it on. Rented it, gave it the old rental, popped it on the screen one night, had to watch it with the lights off for sure. And holy crap, I was so afraid. And I was like, this is just so scary. It's so much fun. I mean, it's not really like, it's fun that I was scared, not fun like horror, what is going horror on. Horror movies because, are fun. They they are. Like that's part yeah, of it. Yeah, horror movies are yeah. fun. Absolutely. But I, I was having a good time watching this incredible story pan out because everybody one the ex-boyfriend seems to be gaslighting her with this invisible man suit two nobody else can believe her because what are you talking about his ghost is here three look why this didn't get nominated for visual effects beyond me it looks fantastic when the guy in the suit is revealed it looks fantastic when we watch all the stuff on the ropes and all the uh the handprint on the the shower like everything looks great in this film um and it leads to this devastating ending that i will it's been out all year i think everybody's seen it i'm gonna spoil it a little bit um she gets to confront her ex-boyfriend who has been she believes has been terrorizing her the whole time. Like she sets a trap and yeah. he falls into it. And you have to understand that the whole time she has escaped this man because she was in an abusive relationship with him. So 
having all these feelings, people just chop up to you really were in a bad situation for a long time. You're safe now, but she is not safe because he's the invisible man. And my God, look, if they could do the mummy or any of these other universal monsters as good as this, don't worry about a connected universe. I just want to see more amazing elevated monster movies like this because it was so good. And I know we have to get like Bloomhouse on board to do that. Do it universal. You know what? Like I, I, I do agree. Like they took a monster movie and they set it against the, the reality that many abused women experience and, and the way that the system isn't there for those women. Like, um, man, you only have to like look at gun violence like stories to to see that this movie is actually like a lot more like as much as it's fantastical with like this invisible monster um, that's not a real thing. There, there's so much like truth in this movie. Like that's one thing that really stood out to me. Um, and all you need to do is see like read articles about stories where it's in the real world and someone um, tries to get a restraining order. But like, what does that really do for you? Not that much. You know, can you really call the police to help you? Nobody believes you and people die at the end. And so I think that the cool thing about this movie is that it, even though it's like this cool monster movie horror veneer, it felt very like real and honest and like talking about real issues. It is grounded. That's yeah, grounded. In that abusive relationship. Yeah. It's just fantastic. I I recommend it to everybody who is like, oh, there's a, there hasn't been very many good movies this year. And I'm like, okay, but you got to watch The Invisible Man because you might not watch The Assistant because it's not your cup of tea. You may not watch The Hunt because of the controversy or the 40-year-old version because I can't get you to watch it for whatever reason. The Invisible Man is a mainstream blockbuster film. I can get you to watch that. Good choice for number three. Your number three is up next on deck. All right. My number three was on your list earlier, and it is Palm Springs, a rom-com dramedy following a man who meets a woman within an infinite time loop at a destination wedding. Do you want to hear what my logline was for the same thing? Yeah, yeah, I do. A sci-fi comedy about a time loop at a beautiful resort wedding with not one, but two loopers, and the film takes a turn into a romantic story about quantum physics. You know, the quantum physics of it all was one of my favorite things in this movie. I knew it would be. You are such a science geek. The thing is, I don't know that. Like, I'm not like, I am a science geek. I like to uh, read science books for non-scientists. That's like one of my hobbies. Um, but I have to admit, like, I don't know that much about quantum physics. So like when it got into it, I'm like, yeah, could be true or could be just like really cool words that a screenwriter put together and, and seems good enough. Uh, okay, so how great is Andy Samberg? So great. And how great is Kristen Malati? Amazing. I love these two. I want these two to be the new Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Totally agree. Well, I would say Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston because I feel like they're the new Adam what? Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Anyway, and J.K. Simmons. Can we just like talk about J.K. Simmons? Because he elevates this movie. He takes this from like just a comedy to like, oh, 
this is good. Yes. J.K. Simmons trying to hunt down Andy Samberg is um like it's the best. The best. And I love their reconciliation. It is. Oh, my God. Like one of the most fun scenes with two actors playing off each other that I've seen all year. Um, there's another supporting actor in this. Uh, her name is Meredith Hagner. I did not know it until literally right now while staring at IMDb. But she is in a TV show called Search Party. Do not sleep on that show. It's real good. Um, it's a TBS show. Anyway, back to Palm Springs. What's it? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. But back to Palm Springs. Again, it was still very pandemic-y and over the entire pandemic, I've really gravitated towards comedies and lighter films um, because I just needed an escape that didn't feel so heavy. And um, and this really did it for me. Like it it was smart, well acted. I enjoyed the time loop more than most time loop films. I think it really elevates a lot of things. It's beautiful. Um Like, this is quite a surprise. And I think it's, like, generally well-loved by, like, it was well-reviewed the whole nine. Totally. And there is a fork in a face. (laughs) I honestly, I love all of the the sight gags in this work really well, just as well as the scripted comedy um, from both of the actors. I, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful comedy. I think Palm Springs has a chance of being pretty high up on our final turf war that we are going to go into. It, it sat um, in the number one position for me until like really this winter when I started watching all the movies I've been avoiding because they felt heavy to me. Good call. Like it it really, I mean, it was, it was definitely like top three for me for a really, really long time. It may have been number one at one point, but... I know The Invisible Man started at number one and it took a really long time to move it down. Anything. I mean, I don't, it's been a while since I've seen it. I have to admit, uh, I don't know that I have much more to say about it because it's, it's fun. And I just think you need to experience it. We are nearly there, Jay. Final two films are on the docket. What is your number two best film of the year? Something tells me that this is not going to be on your list of honor. My number two of 2020 is never rarely sometimes always i'm so happy i knew it was on your list like knew it and i i'm i'm surprised it's as high as it is uh it's not on my top 10 list it is in my top 20 let's talk about it for what is it tell her okay log line for this film is a drama about a teenage girl who travels to new york city to have an abortion that she must keep secret from her family and friends. And it's kind of about what happens on the way because she lives in a state where she isn't allowed to have an abortion performed without, uh, she's 17 years old. She's not allowed to have it performed without an adult present. Yeah. And, and I live in that state. I live in Pennsylvania, so this was, uh, it was cool to watch, and um, I get it. Like, so I, I did my first, I got my green card, and then um, I did my first movie here where I was an actor, um, I guess first feature, um, and uh, and so, and the filmmakers that I work with, I mean, they are great people, nothing horrible like what happens in this movie happened, but uh, I kind of got to see what 
a little bit of rural Pennsylvania's like, and it's not the same as living in Pittsburgh. This movie paints people in a horrible light. Look, I looking through all of my top 10 of the year, one big theme, majority led by women. Two, men are scum. Like, this is kind of the whole thing about my top 10 list is men are scum a little bit. And I'm okay with, with taking that on because of how incredibly moving never rarely, sometimes always actually is for me. The film feels dangerous. First of all, like every time they're in anywhere, they feel like they're in, these two girls are in jeopardy. I, that's actually, I think my favorite thing about the film is because I think that is how it feels like to be a girl. They don't have a lot of support at home. They don't have a lot of support at their work. Um, and this this girl is trying every single measure. One, not to have anybody find out she's pregnant. And two, to, you know, get uh, not have the baby, which the film does not go out and describe like why, uh, you know, why the father is not in the picture doesn't even really explain who the father is. It's all, but it, that's not the important part of this film. The important part of this film is that she can't get the help that she wants. And it doesn't need to explain it because honestly, it's none of our fucking business. What, you know, like what choice she makes with her own body. And, and it's just, it's like, it shows how hard it can be. I mean, I think that's what this film is about. It's, it's trying, it's trying to show that some people need to go through like crazy hoops and and challenges and journeys to get a medical treatment that is hopeful that that in my opinion there they should have the right to choose whatever medical treatment they want in whatever and in a safe clinical setting absolutely you're absolutely right we need autumn's decision to be counted she needs to be able to be counted i would say like and yeah stop. yeah 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 I genuinely broke down in tears watching this film. There's a, there's a scene that I'm not going to say because when you get to the scene, it's amazing. And I was just like a mess. I was I, from the first scene. I am rooting for autumn to win. And we get to this moment in the film and I am just sobbing. And, and remember last year, the farewell was my favorite film. And I told you how it made me think of my grandmother and mm -hmm. I was a mess for five minutes. I think I was a bigger mess with this film. This film is super impactful. It has a lot of beauty in it. It has, it's really um, minimalistic and realistic. So the, the style, the script, it's, um, it's quiet. Watching this film as, you know, a, a guy, I, am, I thought of myself as a teenager at that age, how reckless I was in my younger years, my own toxic nastiness when it came to the opposite sex growing up and how, how I could have been a threat to people just by being around. Men are socialized and taught and almost bullied into feeling like they need to always be pushing to take uh, more sexual advances in, in their, especially when they're young and they're, and they're growing up. And I don't see to me, 
the biggest problem I have with this movie and the biggest problem I have with a lot of of movies is where people always paint men as if they're the bad guy. And and you're totally right. This movie is like every guy is scum, just scum. If you're a male character and you're in this film, you are the scum of the earth. I'm not saying that there aren't scummy men. There absolutely are. And that is fucking shitty. But but you know what? Like, I also think that society is to blame and we teach men from a very young age that certain ways of behaving is good. But I have to say, a film like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always confronts men watching the film to do better. Yeah, that's true. And I think that you're right about society. You're right about growing up that way. But until you realize as a guy, like you were brought up in a way that was toxic, you can identify and do better next. And we've all encountered men who don't realize how toxic they're being because we scum yo (laughs) moving on from never rarely sometimes always i have a feeling i know what your number two is but go ahead no no i i want you to guess what do you think my number two is i think your number two is color out of space not even close like yeah not even close my it's not even close uh yeah it's not my top 10 i'll i'll just like drop that bomb is not in your top 10. You made a big deal about that movie this year, I assumed. Uh, my number two is a much better film, Judas and the Black Messiah. It's a drama Ooh. about a man who decides to become an M- FBI informant and joins up with the Black Panthers chapter led by Fred Hampton, only to be a Judas in the end. I, I just, I love that movie. First of all, I just want to like put my own ignorance on blast. I didn't know who Fred Hampton was really beforehand. I mean, I, I saw him mentioned in, um, trial of the Chicago seven, but I didn't really get the significance. And this movie, like, I don't know. I think it should be like taught in schools. Why don't we know? Why isn't Fred Hampton like, like a name that comes off of everybody everybody's lips he's he he just he was so young he did so much he thought about the community I understand that my my basis of this is like primarily from this movie but like I think movies are here sometimes to teach us about history I I really enjoyed the film too um I it's in my top 25 of the year I loved the Fred Hampton stuff and I loved the Lakeith stuff the stuff with the FBI was so gross. So gross, which also like I thought was important to highlight how the FBI basically acted like a mob hit like a uh, racist machine. Like that is this movie really highlights how fucking toxic and disgusting the system can be. Yes, I, I totally agree. Uh, the ending where we backed onto that documentary was really powerful. Really powerful. I, I prefer Lakeith's performance, if I'm being honest, over Kaluuya, but they're both Agreed. amazing. And yeah, I mean, like if they're both supporting, is does that mean Jesse Plemons is the star of the movie? Because Lakeith ain't. Stanfield is obviously the lead of this movie. It's told through his eyes. He has... The, the most screen time, the most lines, the most everything. Uh, I don't know why he's nominated for supporting. I think it's shit. 
interesting that you brought up the, you know, this should be taught in schools. Fred Hampton's name should be taught in schools. Like we grew up in Canada. Uh, Viola Desmond was somebody I didn't even know existed until two, three years ago when we put her face on the $5 bill or the $10 bill. Like I had no idea that, um, you know, for anybody listening who might not know that Viola, Viola Desmond in Canada went to a movie theater in Nova Scotia and was told she had to sit in the balcony. It kind of a Rosa Parks moment. And she fought it once jail. Um, horrible story, horrible part of the Canadian history, but we don't, we're not taught that in school. Why would, why would we expect to know about, uh, Fred Hampton from the Black Panthers, but I totally agree that we should know about these I, people. Well, I think, I hope now we're taught about her in school. I mean, she is on our, is it five or $10 bill that she's on? I think it's 10. Yeah, it's 10. That's the 10. Every American listening right now is like purple money. These Canadians okay, are ridiculous. For anyone who's American, especially someone who's now living in America, um, this all your money is the same color bullshit is crap because like imagine you're drunk like <laughs> and you're like I mean this is a world we we it's been a while since people have had this but like you're you're paying with cash for drinks or whatever like it's really easy here if you're not paying attention to give someone a bill that you're not intending to give them when you have colorful money you're just like oh yeah 10 is purple uh I think that 50 is red you know you just kind of come up 20 is green and you just like it's easier we're not here to talk about currency though canada hopefully has changed you know who they teach about but one of the things i loved about growing up in canada and our history lessons is that uh we spent like a lot of time talking about the fact that during world war ii canada had japanese uh internment camps and that was like a big part of what we were taught in school because i think that it's important when systems are racist that if you teach the the next generations how bad that was and you say this is something that is a shameful part of this country's history and you just say it like that that's how you make change that's how you move forward and so yeah I hope people talk about Fred Hampton I hope that he's taught about and I hope that you know people teach about how the FBI literally hunted these great like grassroots leaders who were doing so much good for their communities he like the his his maturity, he was 21 when he died. His maturity to be like, we need to focus on, you know, healthcare clinics. We need to focus on educating young black boys and girls. Like that is it's great stuff. And uh, I love this movie. What were you doing at 21, Ivana? I was getting drunk in university. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Do better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are down to our number one spot. Holy crap. Uh, oh, I guess it's mine. It's my, I get to go first. Uh, all right, give me your guess because you already know. Uh, Sound of Metal, obviously. It is obviously Sound of Metal. Uh, I cannot believe that this film did what it did to me. Look, Never Rarely Sometimes Always sat at my top spot after Invisible Man for like a really long time. And then I watched Sound of Metal at the request of somebody from Clubhouse. And I was like, awesome. I will give it a shot. 
I was enthralled. There was no, I, I know it's slow. I know it meanders. I didn't feel any of that. I felt like Riz Ahmed's performance. Look, oh, log line. Here's my log line. Very short. It's a drama about an addict looking for a quick fix when he suddenly goes deaf because literally he has replaced his original addiction with his girlfriend who the only way he can get back to her is to fix his ears, which everyone's telling him is like, you have to, this is going to affect the rest of your life. And he doesn't listen and he doesn't really take the concern because he is addicted to his girlfriend and holy crap. Like the levels of beauty in this film, the, the sound design's amazing, which everybody will throw out. So I'm just throwing it out, but I want to move past that and talk about the relationship he has with this girl, because when she leaves him, it's, it's really sad. And then at the end of the film where he goes to meet her in Paris, it's, like there is a cathartic moment in that scene that, you know, we get exactly what we need to feel in that moment. And I loved it so much. You thought that scene, um, you mean the breakup scene? Yes. The breakup scene. Yes. Uh, I, you felt catharsis. I didn't. I, I felt sad. I felt I felt like, man, the world is a hard and heavy place. That's what I felt. But it had to happen. It was the right thing. It felt it felt like him letting her go was just it. Oh, God. It like unleashed a burden. But also, yes, it's sad. Like letting someone go can be beautiful. And it was. I just wasn't sure that he wouldn't go back to drugs. I, because he finally found peace. He found peace in the courtyard when he took off the devices and he could be still. That's what Paul Racy's character was trying to get at him the whole time was be in a room, be still. And he couldn't do it ever until after he broke up with her. I think he turned the corner. Oh my God, this move. So you thought that the, so you thought you interpreted the ending as that moment. He finally found his moment of stillness. That's so interesting because I, maybe wasn't ready to see that in this movie. And I felt really let down by the ending because I didn't trust him to, I felt like, yeah, in that moment, he, he seems like he's like accepting, you know, what happened and, and accepting the fact that he is deaf now. I didn't feel like he got over his addiction and I didn't trust I felt like he has nowhere to go. And even though in this moment he's feeling a bit of peace, I like I, I a pit dropped in my stomach because like he can't go back to Paul Racy and the world's a hard place and he's going to go back and he's going to start using. And like, that's how I felt. The, I felt the movie ended in a really like scary place. I thought I was hopeful. I was very hopeful that he had kicked his second addiction. He already kicked the first and replace it with that and now maybe the stillness is his new addiction i don't know or finding this 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 moment of peace was i don't know but the other factor that i that blew me away is we've all seen the youtube videos of these devices and we watch the people break down and and they're so happy when they can hear again and to show us the reality of what actually is heard 
through this modulation trying to literally just trick your brain into understanding what you're hearing. Yeah. It was frightening. It, it was a really frightening sound. Yeah, the sound was really great. Like when you when when he gets those implants and when he's at that party, like that party is the sound oh. of metal. And and the title was just perfect. There's a lot to love about this movie. Riz Ahmed's performance. Oh my god. He I I don't think he's going to get it for this, but he uh, that's an Oscar He's got one coming. Yeah. He has one coming. He After has the, like he's he's now put himself in the Leo position where he won't get it for this, but he'll get it for something he doesn't deserve for in a couple of years. He's, but you know what? I've never seen him not deserve an acting performance. Uh, Well, Hey, like I hope, I hope that we're talking about this movie in five years. Again, I don't know if we will. I, it's my favorite movie of the year, but I don't know if we will be talking I about think it that again. This movie has years. staying power because I think a movie like this is cult is going to have a cult following and cult followings have staying power. We will see. All right. Do you want to talk about the father, Ivana? Y- you knew. How did you know? <laughs> the fa- the Because f- you won't shut up about this movie. It's either the father or... Or it's or it's color out of space. It's one or the other. All right. Well, the father is a thriller about a man who is either being taken advantage of or potentially falling prey to dementia. Oh my God, is this like an achievement in math in, in filmmaking, uh, production design, acting, and storytelling? Um, you take a, a subject that is, in my opinion, frightening. Like one of my biggest fears in my life is that when I get old, I'll have Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, I it's it it's terrifying, and and but like it wraps itself in a thriller. So um, I watched it, and I think like because I'm so afraid of falling prey to this horrible disease. Um, I was on his side from the beginning. I was like, this is definitely something's going on here. This does not feel like uh, he's losing his mind. Like the way that the background changes between scenes, I think is really powerful. I think that that actually like makes you empathize maybe in how it feels to be falling prey to this brain disease. But like it's wrapped up in a very filmic thriller style and so it's like um putting sugar on your medicine and and this movie is an expertly executed sugar on your medicine it's based on a play I have heard from people on clubhouse that it's an amazing play and I will absolutely go and do my best to to seek out the play um but while watching it I was like how do you even do this as a play because to me, it's maybe better done as a movie because in a movie, you can really change your set pieces. Like I thought, I was like, as I was watching, I kept watching the background. I kept being like, oh my God, the light changed or like this changed in the background or that changed. Like, and like, I wanted to believe that he, that he was not falling prey to anything. And I wanted to believe it so wholeheartedly. So I think that I was just really on his journey because I wanted to trust his worldview. And uh, and then the ending comes and, oh, 
boy, do you cry at that ending. <laughs> like it's, it's hard. I will say it is out of the films that came out this year that are based on plays. I think this is the most cinematic. I, yeah. I really enjoy how the Super set cinematic. moves, changes, um, but the lighting beyond anything else. How have we not talked about Anthony Hopkins yet? Which is the best performance of the year. He is so good in this. I, I was just, he like, he had, I was on his journey. Like I, I felt everything he felt. I don't know how else to say it. Like everything he did in on the screen, I felt it inside of me and I rooted for him in a way I don't root for many heroes. And and even those moments where the camera stayed with Olivia Coleman and you saw her crying and stuff, like I, I was like in complete denial. I was off with Anthony Hopkins. The father did not hit my top 10 as as listeners will understand right now. Um. I I enjoyed my time with it. I don't think I would ever call this a favorite film of mine. It, it wasn't because I wasn't moved because I was definitely moved. Like I never want to see it ever again. <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know if I have the guts to like I I do feel like I want to see it again, but I don't know if I have the guts to because like um I will see what is really happening the second time around. I won't be able to right. uh, suspend you won't my go disbelief. Along the journey. Yeah, like I I suspended my disbelief. I'm, uh, it's in my top 25. I gave it 4 stars. My review was like short and sweet was on Letterboxes. I feel like I'm losing all my leaves. This single phrase broke me and expressed how wonderfully written this film is. Hopkins crushes this role as I sit through the credits silent. So it moved me. It very much moved me, but I don't know if I'll be uh, venturing back. But hey, you watch Requiem for a Dream for fun, so you might come back to this at some point. Uh, I think I think I have to because just to like face my own demons, <laughs> my commitment to <laughs> to following Anthony Hopkins's story in this was uh, like, oh man, I was delusional. Like now looking back at how I watched this movie, I was delusional and committed to it. Well, man, we have our work cut out for us putting together our collective top 10 right now. It's going to happen. Obviously. I mean, Ivana, Sound of Metal, number one, right? You know what? I'm going to say yes to this because I th- it was on both our lists, right? So That's what I'm saying. I, I agree. Sound of Metal, number one. But then the father gets number two. A hundred percent. Father at number two. Uh, okay. So we have a lot. We do not have a lot of crossover. Palm Springs was your number three and my number five. I could move that up. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm down. It can stay in the number three position. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I don't, the only other one we have is promising young woman, maybe promising young woman then needs to be in the number four spot, promising young woman, especially because you know what? Actually, no, I take it back. I think promising young woman should be in the number three spot. And I know this is going to be crazy because it's not that high on either of our lists. And I think Palm Springs should be number four. And here's my pitch. Nobody's talking about Palm Springs, but everybody's talking about Promising Young Woman. And I find that the more I have conversations about Promising Young Woman, the more I like the movie. So I think that as a collective list and a general, you know, best of top 20 plus Oscars, um, it deserves a higher position. All right. I mean, I'm going to give you that for sure, because that totally makes sense. All right. So next up. We're at our number five seed. This is where things diverge. We do not have anything in common anymore. 
Um, it's like Judas and the Black Messiah versus Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Uh, look, I Judas think- is probably more. They're both really important. They're both really important films. Judas is, I think, um, I mean, they're different, right? So, like, Never Rarely is smaller, more rough around the edges, but it's meant to be, right? Like, I think if you don't have a big budget, you should then write and also create a look that that feels honest without that big budget. So I don't want to discount it. Um, and then Judas and the Black Messiah is a lot more crisp and clean and filmic, you know, I mean, you could convince me either way. As long as it's one and then the other, that's what's important. All right. Well, then mine's going to go first, obviously, because I'm writing the list. So <laughs> never rarely comes first, then Judas and Black Messiah. Just because Sounds you're using awesome. that Google Sheets. <laughs> and and I, may, I, I, Perfect. I can't take notes and talk. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So next up is, look, big time adolescence I want to give you. I want it to be on this. It's something personal to you. It's not something that we, a lot of people have I, seen. I think we can put it down maybe at the bottom, like 10 or something like that. All right. I'm okay with that, which means, uh, hey, you really like The Invisible Man. I love The Invisible Man. Maybe The Invisible Man should be in the number seven seed. And then I will take uh, maybe The White Tiger and put it at number eight. What if we go eight and nine, maybe eight and nine? I don't think that Invisible Man deserves to be at like I've seen it. It's a good movie, but it's not like, you know. All right. All right. So the ones that we have that are like I have ones that are higher up that have not been added in. So I think I need your next one that hasn't been added is number seven. But Wolf Walkers for me is number four. So I think Wolf Walkers make sense at number seven in our final place. You know what? I like this because Wolf Walkers is a really good movie and I'm looking forward to finishing it tonight. So I, I knew it wasn't going to make my top 10, but I believe that it deserves a spot on this list. We did it. Beautiful. We this did it. We did it quickly. Easier. We so, did it record time. So we lost. We lost. Oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Just a sec <laughs> before we finish this off. The Assistant, um, it wasn't on my list, but I think it's like an amazing film. So maybe we should just consider it before we throw it away. And then the 40-year-old version, I like this movie, but I don't think it's a top 10 film. So I, I'm happy not to have that on the list. If I know it's higher for you even than The Assistant, but... Of all of them, the only thing before we finish, like I'm okay with throwing away Defy Bloods. It's not the best Spike Lee movie of all time. So, you know, he's, and he'll make a better film later. Uh, Borat 2, I get it. It doesn't really, it's, you know, it's, it's a farce. And Bill and Ted's is not the, that good of a movie. Bill and Ted's is not going in. It's, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not, it's not that happening. good of a movie that it deserves to actually make the final list. So, so I'm I'm good with this. I'm good. I'm happy the host is not going to be on this list. Fuck the host. <laughs> and How dare you? You know what? I obviously I owe you watching it from beginning to end cuz I I clearly bailed out early. And the hunt it's controversial, so happy to have it on. Do we need to replace either The Invisible Man, White Tiger or Big Time Adolescence with The Assistant? That's the only question. I'm not taking the Invisible Man off the list, but if you want White Tiger off, no, I you think, can take no, White Tiger the white, off. No, White Tiger is really good. And honestly, I appreciate what it's saying about corruption and the caste system. And, you know, like, fuck the caste system. Um, 
I don't like it. So yeah, let's keep that on the list. I think we have a list. I think we got to count it down now. Number 10, big time adolescence. Number nine, the white tiger. Number eight, the invisible man. Number seven, wolf walkers. Number six, Judas and the black messiah. Number five, never, rarely, sometimes, always. Number four, Palm Springs. Number three, promising young woman. Number two, the father. And the number one top 10 film of 2020, that does include the Oscars, is Sound of Metal. I think this very is nice. a very good list. I'm very happy with it. I, I hope that uh, it's like a good, well-rounded one. So I saw 76 films from 2020. Also all the Oscars films. The worst movie I saw this year was a Guy Pierce action film called Disturbing the Peace. I don't know why I thought it would be good. It was awful. Like everything about it was awful. Uh, then there was... Scoob, which I'm, you know me, I'm a Scooby-Doo animation fan. I hated this movie. Like I just, I hated it with all, all of my fury. And then the second, which is a really terrible film with Ryan Philippe. But interestingly enough, the bad guys are extreme leftists. So they feel like they're the good guys. Because they want to get gun reform uh, taken care of. But, of course, they do that by, you know, shooting up a place and uh, taking someone hostage. Terrible film. Uh, What about you? My worst film of the year. uh, I don't don't know how I ended up watching it. It's a faith-based film called Home Sweet Home. I did not finish it uh, because I I was like, oh, my God, I, I can't keep doing this. Also, another one that I don't remember at all, uh, looking at it, Hooking Up, and um, Downhill, which is with uh, Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell. Yeah, hated that movie, thought it was awful. Wait, you, and, okay, I wanted to watch Hooking Up, and Hooking Up's not good. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Hooking Up, I don't even remember it. And, uh, and the, the Fuck It list. Also, just want to mention that, don't watch that movie, The Fuck It List, real bad. It's one of those, like, um, Netflix, like, comedies that just was shitty. That I would never touch. Yeah. That you had to watch because it came out on Netflix. Yeah, and because, like, I really like to watch independent films. Like, I, I watch a lot of independent films that most people don't hear about. And yet, the only real independent film that you saw this year that made your top ten was big time adolescence. Yeah. But my list was definitely a lot of studio stuff. <laughs> now listen, we don't have to watch any more 2020 films for a while. Now we can just watch them for pleasure. I'm pretty excited about putting this behind us. Do you have any honorable mentions? All right. Honorable mentions are in fact, color out of space, which was number 11 on my list. Another round was number 12 by uh, Thomas Vinterberg. Miss Juneteenth. I know you didn't think it was like amazing, but I, I loved Miss Juneteenth. It's it's still in my top twenty. It's a it's a really good film. Um, Nas from Clubhouse recommended Shithouse, and it's my number fourteen of the year. I really enjoyed it, and then Minari obviously is a really really amazing story about a 
an immigrant family, obviously coming to America. And I just really like the idea of Minari, the word and what that meant. And uh, the message was awesome. Um, and everybody, it's not, it's just my number 20, but if you get a chance to watch over the moon, I, I really liked over the moon. I know a lot of people didn't, but it's Glenn Keane's first film. And it's just, it's a lovely little animated feature that I really enjoyed. Uh, what about you? What do you got in your honorables? Uh, I also had Minari. It's in my number 11 spot. I was really mad at the movie uh, at first because uh, it made me remi- it reminded me of my childhood a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, different, but immigrant experience. Um, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which uh, another movie that I was like, as I was watching, didn't like, made me feel kind of like all sorts of, hard to feel things and then but then when I thought about the ending and what it meant and what it was saying I keep thinking about this movie like the movie just pops into my head all the time so if if you haven't seen it just watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom it's it's real good um and Come to Daddy which is uh not like a filmic masterpiece but uh it's really really fun it's with Elijah Wood and uh I really liked it yeah, I remember you uh, you pushing that one, and I never got around to it. So where was Color Out of Space? You, you wouldn't stop talking about Color Out of Space. Oh, because I think it like was the craziest movie I saw, and it's it is in my top like twenty five. Uh, but you already talked about it, so I didn't think I would mention it again. Fair enough. Fair enough. So like, th- very interesting because again, we are recording this on Saturday. Tomorrow is the Oscars. Neither one of us had Nomadland in our top 10, but we do believe that that will probably take best picture. I, yeah. And I really, yeah, I'm very curious why or how. Yeah. Just want a big shout out how awesome it was to record our top 10 turf war with our clubhouse fam joining in. It was so much fun that we asked them what we should watch next week. So next week, Ivana, you, you took a whole bunch of them. And you did a spin the wheel. And what are we watching? I sure did. We are watching 20th Century Women, which I've never seen. Have you seen it? I feel like I did, but I might be mixing it up with like the kids are all right because it's Annette Benning. So I, I'm in. I'm excited. This is going to be a great watch in two weeks time. And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to tune in again next time. If you'd like to support the show, you can hop onto your podcast service and subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, score us a quick rating or review. Our intro song comes from bensound.com and we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors and sound effects. Yvonne and I love hearing from you. So we built a website on how to reach us at morethemovies.net. And in case you hate websites, we also have email. Hello at morethemovies.net. Find us on Facebook, More Than Movies Podcast. Or catch us on Twitter. I'm at It's Ivana. I'm at Jester J. Obviously, we're also on po- Obviously, we're also on Clubhouse, so join us there as well. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back in two weeks' time with an all-new episode. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more.